Welcome into the Train With The Best podcast. I'm Craig Hoffman. What's up? Thanks for checking out the show. Dr. Helen Sue is our guest today. It is a really fascinating conversation. Uh, next week, we have a great one as well as Dr. Ashley Spates, physical therapist, who is my colleague uh, at the Fit Collective here in Washington, D.C. We're going to talk about pain science and a bunch of really cool stuff. So I'm really excited for Ashley, who's so smart, and I am so blessed to work with, not only as a colleague, but uh, she is my physical therapist, and there's been a lot of pain that I've been working through with her, and she's been able to, to get resolution in ways that in all my years of trying to, to work on some chronic issues, I've never been able to find. And so I am so excited to talk to her about all of that on the podcast, uh, not necessarily talk about me, although we can talk about me as a patient, but we'll talk about pain science in general and and the body's ability to adapt to, to different stimuli and a lot of really cool stuff um, that I think are hot topics in the both the PT world and the personal training world. Uh, so we'll get to that with Ashley on next week's show. Uh, thanks to everyone who's checked out the recent podcast Pods. Numbers have been fantastic. So much interest. Um, a lot of new listeners as, as people are checking out all the guest co-hosts and, and guests that we've had. Uh, they're bringing a new audience. So to all of you who are listening, you know, getting that are new to the pod, welcome and, and thanks so much for listening. Whether it's Azante Dunn, Marcus Lowe, Clarence Stanfield, Jane Coaston, everyone who's been on the pod. Uh, we've had a great run. Chris will be back. Chris Gores, my, my regular co-host, will be back here in a couple weeks. Uh, so we're very excited for that as well. But Dr. Sue um, is someone I connected with in an effort to get some clarity on the Antonio Brown situation. I was writing an op-ed, which is yet to be published. I'm hoping it'll be published in one of the major publications here soon. Um, but, but Antonio Brown had the outburst on the field where he exits the, his Tampa Bay Bucks career and possibly his NFL career, taking his jersey off, his pads off, walking shirtless off the field in the middle of a game. And... Uh, after the game, Tom Brady's talking about Antonio Brown's mental health. And, you know, I just kind of had these thoughts that, I, that I've had for a while on uh, a variety of topics, whether they're sports adjacent or people in my own life, where it's like, how much of this can we attribute to the mental health side of whatever Antonio Brown may or may not be battling? He has never admitted uh, to having mental health issues, even though some of the people around him seem to insinuate that he is. And even some of the language he's used um, has insinuated that he has had some uh, work on his mental health in the past. Um, how much of the, uh, of anybody's misbehaviors, if they are suffering in the mental health department, can we attribute to that? How much should we tolerate? What are the ways to, to create better outcomes? And also specific to Brown, like, how do we talk about this in media circles as we comment on these types of situations? Because he certainly won't be the last. How can we be both empathetic and hold people responsible um, and have realistic conversations? So that's kind of the premise of the op-ed. It'll be out uh, here soon. Um, but as Dr. Sue and I were going back and forth, we started talking about some fitness adjacent topics. And I was like, well, uh, this sounds like we should do a podcast because I also am a fitness pro uh, who does a fitness podcast and you'd be great. So that's the genesis of this conversation. Dr. Sue is the lead outreach specialist, staff psychologist and Asian American specialist, as well as a lecturer at Stanford University. She's the past president of the Asian American Psychological Association. Her bio goes on with a tremendous amount of accomplishments from there in the Bay Area and nationwide. She's a fellow at the Asian American Psychological Association. Um, she's won the Cultural Responsiveness Professional Award from Alameda County uh, and, and it's so many other 
different awards and, and is an active part of her community, uh, as well as someone who is a fitness enthusiast. She's a CrossFit athlete. So that comes up in this conversation as well. It's so, so good. And I'm excited for everybody to hear it. So without further ado, Dr. Helen Sue here on the train with the best podcast. Dr. Sue, welcome to the train with the best podcast. Thanks so much for doing this. Hi, Craig. Glad to be here. So I want to start a little bit, uh, kind of taking a wider view of the, the Brown situation. Cause I think, I think in a way these issues are all interconnected. It, it really comes down to accountability. It comes down to and accountability for an individual who may be going through some kind of mental health, um, issue. And also though the accountability of those around them and how those two entities, um, whether it be a group of people or individuals interact. So when you saw what happened with Antonio Brown and heard some of the comments around after from, for instance, Tom Brady saying that we should have empathy for this person, but knowing that this is also an individual who's hurt a lot of people. He's been accused multiple times of sexual assault. He threw some furniture out of an apartment that nearly landed on a 22 month old. Like there, there are serious transgressions here. How do you try to begin talking about this discussion in a way that is empathetic, responsible, and accountable? Mm-hmm. I thought it was such a good conversation because we have a tendency to go to extremes and life is not, you know, black or white that clearly this kind of behavior, something is wrong. We know, you know, what little we know about Antonio Brown, like he's, he's not had an easy life, right? But I think there's a place where as organizations like the NFL, or even just us in our personal lives. I think we all know somebody like this. Like we have a lot of empathy that they've been through stuff. They may have a real diagnosis that may deserve real accommodations, but also as adults, we got to be responsible for our actions. And we're not actually helping a person if we let them keep hurting themselves and the people around them. So Like in the addiction field, we talk about this concept of enabling, right? You try to protect somebody, you try to be nice, you try to, you know, help them, but then they don't get natural consequences and their behavior just gets worse. And then they actually maybe get sicker. And so, you know, there's sort of a empathy, but it needs like reasonable boundaries for everybody's safety. And how do we do that? So let's say someone, whether it's Brown, and, and obviously I, I think it's also important to say we, we talked about this via email, but like you have not diagnosed Antonio Brown, nor has he publicly come out with a diagnosis. So mm-hmm. we will we will use Brown and what happened there as a jumping off point because we have a little bit of data around what people have said. There's been reporting that the Bucks tried to seek mental health for him or mental health help for him, et cetera. But we, you know, we can we can use more generic examples. You know, so let, let's say there is something that happens in one of our lives where someone who may have some level severe or minor of, of mental health struggle does something that hurts us. What What's that conversation like that is healthy and protective of, especially because I, I think just to, to sidebar for a second, and this is a lot about what the op-ed was ultimately about. And it's frankly about a lot of um, what I have spent the last six months talking about with the Washington football investigation is like, we spent so much time on the people doing the hurting and not enough on time on the people who get hurt. And so how do we rearrange those conversations, especially if we're in a, ever in a situation where we are the one getting hurt? Mm-hmm. Right. In general, right? There's, yeah, there's a good point. What do we know about what someone's actually diagnosed with? Because there's also a difference between having a real um, mental health disorder and just being a person who's making really bad choices. <laughs> so right. yeah, it can blur, but there is a, there is a true difference. Um, 
and depending on what our role is, right? Like, yeah, if you're the the league or you're the coach or you're somebody in a certain position, maybe you have more like ability to have an influence and also maybe a little more responsibility to try to say, hey, you know, part of you being successful here is not maybe just your athletic performance. It's these other things. Um, Part of you staying healthy in mind and body is also your mental health. Um, When it's more of like a personal or one-on-one, sometimes it's sort of figuring out like, whoa, when do I need to assert boundaries, you know, and when do I need to actually, I think we have a lot of values about like, oh, we do anything. We extend ourselves for like teammates or we try to help people out. And those are awesome like community values, but at what point, again, we don't want to be enablers. Do we have to say like, this is absolutely not okay. Or like you said, we, we focus a lot on the person who's clearly acting out that they're having problems, mm-hmm. but we still got to protect people. If that acting out is actually hurting them um, and creating some kind of a negative effect, right? Like harm, harm in the community. And I think a lot of teams or even gyms will experience this. You also don't want this person to start making this a negative, unsafe place for other people. Right. And, and I think also the something that as we dive kind of into the fitness element of it is, and we certainly see this, I have clients um, who I've had some version of this conversation with where they're going through, whether it's some form of trauma um, or a mental health, some kind of, whether they suffer from a disorder or just that their, their, their mental health is not at their best, where mm-hmm. they turn to exercise and it becomes an abusive relationship. If, if our audience listening is predominantly trainers from what we've mm-hmm. been able to, to, to garner. Um, so if, if they, if someone listening or me, you know, even just to take it to out of the hypothetical realm, like we're to have those conversations, like what are the parameters? What is safe to do? Where are you starting to leave your scope of practice? Like, how would you recommend someone who is not, does not have the training and the expertise of someone like yourself to start broaching those conversations in, in an effort to steer someone in the right direction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we had talked about this earlier. I've had some friends who've been coaches and trainers who said they really felt like they reached a point with some clients of like, wow, there's some real, like maybe past trauma or body dysmorphia, you know, there's some emotional things going on here that is beyond my scope, right? Like I'm here to help you with your fitness goals, but there's a much deeper current going on here. And I think it's responsible to let people know, like, you know, my recommendation is some kind of professional referral, um, depending on the issue. Sometimes it's like, Hey, maybe you should read some of these things or otherwise it might be like, you know, I think this is actually pretty deep and maybe you should consider talking with a therapist for whatever the specialty is. Is it substance use? Is it an eating disorder? Um, there are sports psychologists, you know, as well that we've definitely had incredible athletes who are just getting so caught up, uh, mentally and really wanted to consult with a sports psychologist. And of course, athletes have real lives, right? And they have families, Mm -hmm. relationships, stressors, grief. How does that impact how they're doing? Um, So I think for trainers to really kind of think about when you've reached the end of your skill set and it really, you're noticing that there's still something going on here. Like, have you built like maybe a referral list and a reading list that you could kind of connect folks with and educate a little bit? I think that's so great on the advice front, because especially having that reading list and having someone specific, because I think so often when someone is going to start therapy, one of the biggest hindrances is, well, I don't know who I want to talk to. And, and mm-hmm. that that loan process of even starting 
therapy. And if you have not just one option, but potentially a couple of options, be like, hey, you should call, you know, this person's great. I, you know, I've had people work with them before, or I've worked with them before, How, however that goes. Um, and, and not to mention the reading list as well, I think takes away some of the fear of that conversation. How would you recommend people? Because it, it's not easy to just go like, Hey, so uh, let's talk. Uh, I think you should go to therapy. Like, right, you want to have a lot more tact in that conversation. Um, and and I, I think one of the the things that was really powerful that you talked about in our email exchange that ultimately wound up being a centerpiece of the the, the op ed as well, which hopefully people will get to read soon, um, is that someone, especially in the U.S., the way the system is set up, but even in general, someone has to want to accept help. So, how do yeah. you start to break down those barriers if? you know, you've, you've already developed a relationship with them. You're working with them on their physical health, um, and, and their strength and whatever other goals they have. There's some level of trust there, but you're now broaching this next, this next subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's definitely, ultimately everything's easier when we've got a relationship, right? That there's some trust that, you know, I want you to be successful, right? Whether that's a one-on-one -on -one training, whether it's, it's his team, clearly we do share this goal, you know, like, in this way, I'm on your side. And as with any good coach or teacher, like I have to give you feedback, right? <laughs> like if you're going to get better, that always entails feedback. It's not a personal attack. Um, really normalizing. I think it's always been just incredibly powerful when people talk themselves about, Hey, there were times in my life. I sought various kinds of help. Um, you know, that, saying someone should seek professional help is a lot like really coaching or training. Why do you want to do things the slow and the hard and the painful way when there's somebody who's spent years and years of their life, like learning, like, Hey, this helps you get healthier. Right. Right. One of the things that and talking to nutritionists, I worked on a, a big education piece around body dysmorphia and, and eating mm -hmm. disorders uh, in the fall and, and talking to a couple of nutritionists about that. Um, they echoed something that you also told me when we were going back and forth that you, you were kind of stunned, alarmed, I think was the word you used, about the things that you see in training spaces, spaces around those issues that ultimately could lead a perfectly healthy person who walked in with the goal of getting a little bit stronger to go having to seek professional health on a, a mental health side. Um, I, I was, I was very surprised. Uh, I mean, not as surprised as I wish I was to be honest, but like mm -hmm. still pretty surprised in talking to some of the nutritionists and the people that work in that side of it to say like, yeah, a, a large percentage of my clients come to me because of something that started with a trainer or a fitness professional. What are those things that you see that need to be eliminated from training spaces to make them safer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of it is all of us knowing the limits of our competence, right? Um, like I'm not going to be the one that trains you for a professional sports career, but you know, a professional coach is also shouldn't be the one that you go to for like, Hey, you know, could this be, um, a real mood disorder or, you know, what does this mean? Um, and just understanding that some of the things that we do can always get off balance. So, right. Some people's addiction started because they were given medications for pain, but then it got out of hand. You know, sometimes people were doing a really great training plan or a diet, but then they veered into orthorexia or an eating disorder. So it's on all of us and all of our roles to realize when, okay, maybe given this person's history, 
Um, we don't know their trauma, their genetic predispositions. The same program that I've given that's worked well for other people is like really going in a bad direction with this person. And we really got to talk about how do we adjust it? You know, like one size does not fit all for diet training and mental wellness. Definitely. Uh, one of the things I always talk about is a, a selling point for personal training is that it's personal, right? Like if, you, if you're mm -hmm. just giving a cookie cutter program, you're not really a personal trainer. You might as well be a, an internet website because there's plenty of things out there that people can pay well nothing for frankly they're they're free uh if you want your workout of the day just you know search that on google and, and there you go the Train with the best podcast is brought to you by super coffee and I, I try to do something nice for all of our guest hosts who have been on the last two months or so of this podcast I sent them some Super Coffee. Super Coffee is not just an amazing coffee brand. It is a positive energy company. It's written on every bottle, every pack of grounds. It is written on every bottle of Super Creamer. It is a positive energy company. When I see that logo in the morning, whether it is on my grounds, on my grab and go, ready to drink coffee, on my Super Creamer as I foam it up, I just, I just feel a little better knowing that I have their support behind me. And I wanted to share that with all of the folks that you've heard on this podcast over the last couple of months. So I sent it to Dr. Sue. I sent some to Ashley, who you'll hear next week, sent some over to Cut7 for Marcus and Clarence, not only to have for themselves, but to continue to spread. Let's have some exponential positive energy in our lives. Now, the cool thing for you is, of course, you can get Super Coffee at drinksupercoffee.com using the code train with the best for 25% off. But you can also share it. They have gift packs as well. So whether you're getting it for yourself, getting it for others, uh, just a simple gift box or just, you know, send someone a 12-pack, whatever it is. Go to drinksupercoffee.com, use the code train with the best 25 and do what we did. Send some people some positive energy. It's 25% off your first order using the code train with the best at drinksupercoffee.com. I'm really fascinated specifically to um, kind of a melding of all the topics. Uh, the competitive side of like a professional athlete, um, you mentioned that you were a dancer growing up, which is an incredibly intense and often very competitive space. And I'm, I'm curious from your own perspective and your own lived reality growing up, you experienced this, I'm assuming as a child before you have any training in psychology. And so as you start <laughs> to get into the field and you start studying, were there things you look back at and were like, whoa, that was, we definitely should have done that that way. Yeah, I mean, dance is notorious for eating disorders, right? Um, and so it's dancing or ice skating, all those kind of sports gymnastics, right? That like ultimate super lean, and it can really easily veer to eating disorders. Um, I feel like there's got to be this healthy space between uh, we don't want to stigmatize people from seeking help. But I think sometimes also when we train hard at something, we really normalize things that are very unhealthy, right? And so also looking at what do we find acceptable and because there are things that are really extreme that you do that maybe has a short-term gain, mm -hmm. right? You bulk up or you really slim down for something, but that we know in the long run, if this person's going to be a sustained, have any kind of a sustained athletic career or be healthy long run, it's just not a good idea. I mean, it's, you know, one of the many reasons that I left dancing was sort of like the amount of time it would take out of your life, the amount of other things that you couldn't have. At some point, you got to decide, like, is that actually healthy for me or a good choice? Yeah. How do you evaluate those? 
I mean, to be, I guess, direct with it, how do you evaluate those choices, the things that are worth doing versus the things that are not? Mm -hmm. I think you probably hear this a lot. And I hear we have student athletes as well, say at Stanford um, and at the CrossFit box that I'm at, where sometimes you hit that plateau of like, I'm not getting the same like joy or, you know, that feeling is really being lost. And is this a time to reassess the way I train or what's my motivation? Cause it's totally normal that at your life stage, different priorities are important and that's okay. Um, also it's not black and white thinking. Like there are times in your life, you may not be able to devote yourself to training at this level. And there are other times you're willing to sacrifice other stuff. Like that's a very unique, you know, person to person conversation, being able to assess I often tell people you should have a check-in at least every year with like, hey, am I on target Mm -hmm. with my priorities right now? Has something changed? Um, What do I need to change to kind of take that growth mindset, right? Like we change up the training to mix it up, but also how are we thinking about things? Yeah, I I think that's such a fascinating conversation too, especially this time of year, because a lot of people's yearly check-in is their New Year's resolution, which feels like a failure because they didn't do the thing they said they were going to do last (laughs) year. They, I only did it for two months. And I I was actually listening to David Epstein. I don't know if you're familiar at all with his work. Um, He's on ESPN Daily the other day. And he talked about how New Year's resolutions are actually great, but people do them wrong. Like New Year's resolutions are great, but instead of thinking like, I'm, this is the year I'm going to run, commit yourself to running for two months. If you make that more attainable, then it takes some of the toxicity and the inevitable. If all of a sudden in month three, even if you don't give up, you slack off, you know, you're like, Hey, well, I did it for the first two months, but it gives you time to build the habit. You know? So it's like, there are these fine, um, not gray areas. There's, there's the kind of the sweet spot of between, yeah, that's not worth it. We should just not do these things that typically are often turn into toxic habits and them actually becoming toxic habits. And I, I, I just, I'd just be curious your thoughts in general. There's not really a question there, but kind of your, your thoughts to that pursuant to the things that you've been talking about where sometimes, yes, you're going to train exceptionally hard and push and other times you might back off because I do think, like we were talking about earlier, the, the propensity towards extremes tends to override a sweet spot where success really lives. Yeah. Like pacing, right? Mm-hmm. When I used to run, pacing was a huge thing. You know, um, if you're going to be out there for, you know, more than 10 miles, you better pace or you're going to find yourself in a bad place. Um, and thinking about that with life and, you know, How do we check? What's the pace? Also, realistically, looking at the behavior change data, like I tell a lot of my clients, like, listen, most of the data shows that for a new habit to stick usually takes at least six weeks, sometimes more, right? And it is so hard to do something new for that long. I mean, the fact is most of us will kind of poop out after a couple weeks, but that's completely normal. And if you anticipate that, you won't be as disappointed and beat yourself up. There's a reason people do things like join a group when they quit smoking or do a challenge for weight loss or join a group class at a gym, because most of us do need to put some supports in place. If we really want to be doing something different, we got to set ourselves up, you know, with some supports to be as successful as possible and being realistic with ourselves. 
like I'm realistic. If I don't go to the box, um, I'm just not going to train that hard by myself because that's just my personality, you know? So Mm -hmm. I set things up. (laughs) Yeah. I actually had that conversation with a, with a new client today. She's like, yeah, I would love to train uh, multiple times a week, but if I do one with you and you give me another workout doing myself, I'm just not going to do it because I don't like training by myself. So (laughs) that actually leads to, I'm sure something that you think about far more than most trainers, uh, because you are solely focused, at least professionally speaking on like the Mm -hmm. mental side of of things, um, and behaviors far beyond someone's fitness. But I think is, is really essential to being successful in our line of work, which is when do you fight human nature to try to change behavior and when do you kind of maximize or, you know, try to maximize human nature to allow, you know, some kind of behavior change to take place? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that element of choice, right? Which we get back to that in, in this country, you know, nobody goes to psych services unless they choose to. Um, generally, that's really good, right? It's protecting your independence and choice. Sure. Absolutely. It, it becomes problematic if someone's so out of control that you know, then their family is really worried about them and they're hurting themselves. But, um, so this element of choices, when you're ready to make changes, um, what's your motivation? There's a model called the stages of change model. And a lot of it was designed and studied around things like stages to be ready to say, stop substance using. But I think the model is just really helpful, right? Cause while 100 people might say, like, I would like to, you know, like, do this goal for my fitness, but they might all be at different stages of change, right? Someone might be, like, just contemplating, mm-hmm. not really ready to, you know. <laughs> Others are like, yeah, I'm actually putting those steps in. I'm shopping for a trainer. I'm shopping for gear, you know. Others, so kind of, like, really assessing, like, where am I at realistically? What are the size of the steps, that I can and want to take and what do I need to put in my life to help make that as likely as possible. The Train With The Best podcast is brought to you by Momentus. And I'm gonna keep this ad really generic because I don't trust myself not to spill the top secret information that I was given that is coming like within the next couple of weeks. The good news is you're not gonna have to wait long to learn all of the things that I am currently excited about as I sit here recording this advertisement. But uh, it's mm, mm. good stuff is coming from the fine folks at Momentus, which is crazy that the good news keeps coming because they've already done so much amazing work over the last year to expand their suite of products, including their merger with Amp Human. So like PR lotion and, and all of the great Amp Human products now under that Momentus brand, the quality untouched. It's the absolute top of the line, which is why athletes from NFL players like Ndamukong Sue to Olympians like Emma Coburn trust Momentus from their preparation to their performance to their recovery. Optimize, perform, recover. Those are the three elements of Momentus, and they have the things you need to excel in all three areas. And they have it all at 25% off your first order in a subscription if you use the code train with the best 25. Well, that's a that's a pretty sweet deal. Oh wait, it gets better because it's a subscription order and the refills come. Uh those are 15% off. So 25% off your first, 15% all your concurrent orders at livemomentous.com using the code train with the best 25. So you should probably do that right now. Continuing on that line of thought, um 
one of the examples I think we get all the time. And this, this tends to happen, I feel like, even more in like the big box gyms. I used to work in a, in a big box gym as a trainer. Now I'm, I'm more independent. But you get the, the type of person that walks in. They're like, yeah, I want to lose 10 pounds. And it is kind of this throwaway goal. They think they're supposed to based off society. Maybe their doctor told them, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be better off. But realistically, that's not like a sustainable, they're not really a sustainable type of goal because, okay, if you lose 10 pounds and what are you going to continue to train for? You get on the yo-yo cycle and you become a part of the billion dollar yeah. diet industry that's ruining, you know, the health of millions of people all across the country. Um, by the same token, um, we don't, it, you know, so I guess, I guess the question would be, how would you go about a conversation talking to someone who clearly has a desire to make some change, but you may need to peel back the layers to really get at the root of what that is and establish a more, I don't want to say worthy goal, because obviously we're, we don't want to put that value judgment on them, but mm-hmm. something something that is truly deep enough to drive a behavioral change that is sustainable over time to create a healthier, stronger, whatever word you know you want to use there, human being. Yeah. I mean, ideally with the luxury of a one-on-one client, um, for training and then in therapy, like I'll often ask people, like, you'll have some time to break down. Like, so you want to lose 10 pounds and, and what does that mean to you? Right. Is it just, I want to feel really good about myself, have confidence, or is it, I want to be able to like physically do this thing. Um, you know, like, what is that about? On another level, it's kind of like when people go and want plastic surgery, a good surgeon will actually have a mental health person actually sit with them and kind of explore your expectations. Like, are these realistic expectations? Because maybe what you're actually seeking for isn't about the 10 pounds at all and a different kind of thing would be better. Right, right. Um, Yeah, like some people find that they come to our gym and they gain weight, but it's muscle weight and they feel better. So it wasn't the weight that was the issue. It was about, you know, spending time on yourself or your performance. Right. And, and I think that oh, oh, kind of following up even further on that, I'm thinking back to some of the training that I had when I was first starting um, in, in my big box corporate environment. And, you know, they do these role play examples and it's like, well, keep asking why. And, and you know, eventually I always you peel back the onion. Like, I want to lose 10 pounds. Why? Well, I just want to look a little bit better. Well, why is that? Like you look great or whatever it is. And, you know, you go through this role play exercise until you get to, well, I've got a wedding coming up next year and my ex-boyfriend's going to be there and I want to look great to spite him. And while it's like, ah, yes, good job. You uncovered it. It's like, well, that, that doesn't seem like the healthiest thing. Now it's very human. (laughs) We all, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have these vengeful petty things in our lives that we want to be able to do think X, Y, and Z to prove it to person, you know, X, Y, or and that is, and in many ways, there's been Hall of Fame careers spurred by that thing. I mean, the the Last Dance documentary with Michael Jordan is is you know, and that's when I took it personally. Like that's the whole premise of his greatness it was in many ways these incredible slights that he was able to manufacture over time. But I think if you look at that documentary, even to to expand it past my little you know role play example, like does anyone look at Michael Jordan in that documentary and go like that's a happy person? Probably mm-hmm. not. And so I, I guess you know, I, I would love advice from someone in your position on how to then continue that conversation to try. I mean, at some point you're going to leave a trainer scope of practice, but, um, to try to like, what would you be doing to have that conversation or what could I be doing as a trainer? I guess is an even more appropriate question for me, uh, Mm -hmm. to have a, to to try to drive a, a a shift in a mindset towards something that's going to be create sustainable happiness and fulfillment versus spite pettiness, but maybe you work out really hard. Yeah. I mean, 
spite has its place, you know, and anger <laughs> definitely has its place. Um, but we see what happens when maybe that's that's almost all there is, right? People get really burnt out. They burn bridges. They're crappy teammates. You know, like there's sort of a limit. Um, even academically, I've met people who had phenomenal, I mean, they're at Stanford careers and they said a lot of it was about proving the haters wrong and like, okay, mm-hmm. well, that's great. But now what? Right. You know, there, there comes a place where then they're like, wow, that's kind of empty. Like, what else am I doing? And the bigger question is, you know, if you're going to be reasonably content or happy, I always tell people like, all right, I don't, maybe it's not realistic. You're going to be like happy, happy, happy every day. But I think it's fair to strive for feeling mostly content and healthy most of your days. Like that's a great goal. And that's a lot about balance. And that's where I feel like all of us in our fields, are we attending to the whole mind body? Right. Sometimes my therapy clients are surprised that I check in so much about their exercise, their sleep, their eating, but it's absolutely essential. But for trainers to neglect the fact that like, you know, if your client has a really like maladaptive thinking style, if they're, you know, always angry or paranoid or, you know, um, constantly berating themselves in this really unconstructive way, like how long can they do that before it becomes a problem? couple more questions for you real quick. Uh, first, how did you pick your CrossFit box as someone who has these, these thinks this way and has these standards? How did you find where you wanted to work out and, and find a place that you felt, uh, fit all, checked all the boxes that you were looking for? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I have always hated working out indoors other than dance studios. <laughs> so at the time I found it, I was doing running and always outdoors, but in winter, <laughs> I get out at night. So I just needed a place for a couple months, but you know, the thing about CrossFit, I I liked the variable, like functional fitness. I liked that it was different every day. And I think what's important about my box, my owners are uh, kind of also like older and they really created an environment where a lot of athletes feel welcome. I mean, I think we all know there's CrossFit boxes, which have reputations of like if you're not an elite athlete, we don't have time for you, you know? Right. And like, I don't right. need that kind of stress in my like non-work time. Like, so I think they have this balance going of like, I do feel pushed. I've been pushed to do stuff. I never thought I could, but it's also like, everyone is completely supportive of like, Hey, you know, your limits, you know, if you need to modify and my box has really like supported me, we've had a couple like mental health awareness fundraiser events. We've really talked very openly about mental health is important, not just who's at the top of the whiteboard. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, if someone were to be listening to this and be like, you know what, maybe I actually do want to have that conversation with someone. How would you recommend them going about finding a therapist in, in their area or online or however it is that they want to pursue that, that course mm-hmm. of action? Yeah. I mean, depending on the interest there, there is a whole field of sports psychology. So that's definitely, you know, looking up who maybe locally in your state does that or even regular um, private therapists. Like it's not listed as my specialty, but it's very much part of my lifestyle. So kind of, it's okay to ask any professional um, the questions about what is your experience with my interest? Have you worked with other athletes, for example, um, And there's some reading too, that if maybe that's a starting point, if someone's like, often somebody will say, maybe I just want to have a consult 
Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if therapy is where I'm at, but I could use maybe a professional consult to get more information and think on things and maybe start to modify. But yeah, like with everything else in training, you know, why do it the hard way? You know, you don't have to recreate the wheel when people have already been doing this research, already been experiencing it. And hopefully creating a, a culture wherever you're training that's anti-mental health stigma, right? That's like, we can talk about these things, these things and we can talk about them early before they turn into like really troubling behaviors. No doubt about it. And the last thing, just on that that last point, um, and this kind of goes back to the point of the op-ed and, and a lot of things that I think about as a communications person. Um, I think when we, we talk about destigmatizing things, I think a huge part about that is just talking about it without pretense. It's just like, let's have the conversation. Let's like, let's not try to dance around it. Let's not try to be too cute. Um, in, in many, like my questions about language and in the ways to address things were to make sure that I was getting it right. Not because mm-hmm. I wanted to be, you know, quote unquote, politically correct in like this, this, you know, way that gets parsed apart and torn apart by bad faith actors, if we're being honest, but um, that ultimately you can have these conversations without fear of stigma and part of the way to get there is to just have the conversation and not really care about the stigma. So when you have conversations about, or you see conversations and see people's minds and attitudes start to change, what are the things that you want people to know who are willing to have these conversations um, to, to kind of arm themselves with the right tools to just proceed forward, have the conversation, whether it's on an individual one-on-one basis with someone who they, they are talking to for a specific reason, or like you said, it's your CrossFit box, creating that, that group healthy environment where these kinds of conversations can flow in a natural way. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, there's resources out there, so you don't have to recreate things. Um, NAMI, N-A-M-I, National Alliance Mental Illness, they're fabulous. They're nationwide. They've got lots of info for like friends, caregivers, family members, yourself. You know, if something's going on that you're like kind of worried, you know, yeah, not sure exactly what to do or what this is about, but there's resources available. And being a good listener really is fundamental, I think. Understandably, often we feel like we need to have a solution, um, but you don't, right? Sometimes really being heard is one of the most healing things. Um, Being able to say like, wow, I don't really know what exactly to do with that, but I'm really concerned and I'll I'll help you and we can look at this together and find out um, is really huge. Um, And just playing that role in, in all our communities. Like I give a lot of lectures and things and I teach, but I'll always say like, hey, And any big sized group, absolutely guarantee that some of us have been in treatment. Some of us provide treatment. Some of us have had loved ones um, really suffer. I've often said it very openly. I'm all of the above, you know, like Mm -hmm. we can be all these things in all these roles. No doubt about it. And what are you doing with Hella Mental Health? Uh, and why did you want to start this? You know, you're already doing so many amazing things within Stanford. What, why did you want to, like, what, what's the passion play for you to get outside of that and, and continue what you're doing? Yes. Thanks for asking. Hella Mental Health. Hella is a very NorCal expression, <laughs> but it's my consulting work that I've been going into corporate places or doing a lot of teaching outside of Stanford that, especially these last couple of years, have just been brutal. And I'm glad to see that more like organizations and businesses are trying to invest in the mental well-being of their staff and how they're coping with all this stuff and all these demands um, that 
Yeah. And so Hellamanhalt is kind of my space to do that. And we do some fun things too. You know, we've had our CrossFit fundraisers, um, make some videos and fun shirts. So a lot of Asian American community targeting too, because that community has really been suffering these couple of years. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if people want to get more information on that or reach out to you to, to book you for anything through that, how would they do that? Yes. Hellamanhalt does have a website and I'm always rambling about something on Twitter. You can look me up there. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Dr. Helen Sue, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was great. Uh, hopefully people can read the op-ed soon as well. Uh, obviously I will publicize where that's being published when it gets published. Uh, but in the meantime, make sure you're following uh, Dr. Sue in all those places. And, and again, thanks so much for coming on the Train with the Best podcast. Great. Thanks, Greg. <laughs>